got nine minutes to maximize your travel and casino experience? Welcome to Zorkcast, powered by Travel Zork, helping you travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures. From airline miles and hotel points to living in the lap of luxury in a Las Vegas casino, you'll find all the knowledge you need to travel in style. Brought to you in nine minutes or less. Now, please welcome the host of Zorkcast, Michael Mason Traeger. Hello, this is Michael, and welcome back to ZorkCast. Today, we have a returning guest, John Morris of WheelchairTravel.org, and we're going to talk a little bit about travel to Egypt and his explorations in Egypt. And we're also going to get to a little bit of casino talk about casinos in Cairo, but that might be a second part of the episode. So, John, good morning. How are you doing today? I'm well, Michael. How are you? I'm doing quite well. So it actually is also good morning for you. It's just about 9 a.m. here in London. And where in the world are you today, John Morris? I am in Dubai, and it is 20 minutes to lunchtime, which I'm looking forward to. So I'm a few hours ahead of you, I think. Yes, you are. That's great. How's the Dubai trip been so far? Well, it's been uh, pretty uneventful. I've mostly just been hanging out, writing things for the website. I've been traveling a lot lately. So many, many articles to catch up on. Later today, I think I'm going to go check out this massive indoor garden that is supposed to be spectacular and also an Instagrammer's haven. Well, that is wonderful. Yeah, your travels over the last, I don't know, four to six weeks have been, they've been truly epic. Starting, I mean, at least where I I started really following some of it was you're in Egypt for close to a month, right? Or three weeks? Three weeks. Uh, Before that, I had been in Europe for a little while. I went to a concert with Michelle from Turning Left for Less. And then I was in Luxembourg and Sharm el-Sheikh. And then, of course, I met you in Cairo. After that, I went to Kenya on safari, and now I'm here in Dubai. Wow. That definitely is quite a bit of travel. And I let me see if I remember this correctly, but was it your 100th airport was your flight to Nairobi? Is that correct? It was. It was. I'm excited. Uh, 100 airports with a wheelchair. I've been to quite a few more in my life beyond that, but uh, 100 with a wheelchair, which I thought was just a cool statistic. I enjoy counting things, so that was a, a really cool marker in time, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely amazing. It was a great marker. And I actually think that that's a great flight line, Cairo to Nairobi, to have done your 100th flight in a wheelchair. I think that was a sort of a cool route and also on a cool airline because Egypt Air is a very interesting is a very interesting carrier, which I believe you've had pretty good experiences with. I have. I have. It was a, about a five hour flight, I think. And it was unfortunately on a 737. But I have flown on their A330. Sometime I'd like to try the New York flight, which I think is a 777. Yes, I think it is. But Egypt Air is still a dry airline, aren't they? They are. They are. And I haven't, uh, <laughs> I haven't brought anything <laughs> on board uh, for myself yet or, or had the nerve to break into my collection of minis. 
so it's a little disappointing to be on a long flight without a drink, but, you know, that's just an invitation to go to sleep, I think. It's sort of funny to me because I forget that Egypt Air is a dry airline because we see so much in, like, the aspirational traveler and passenger experience world where people are talking about Etihad and Qatar and Emirates. And it's always like everyone's showing pictures of alcohol and champagne and alcohol and champagne. So after a while, I sometimes forget, you know, about the dry airlines. And, you know, it doesn't come to mind that Egypt would immediately be a dry airline. I mean, Egypt Air, because Egypt isn't a dry country. So I always think that's a little interesting. Like I always take a double take and I'm like, there's still a dry airline, right? But anyway, that's just one of my little goofy, goofy things that I sometimes forget. Yeah, I think it does surprise me a little bit, particularly in that I feel like there are much stricter countries who have national airlines that are still serving alcohol to passengers. So yeah, Egypt is just sort of a an interesting case, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I think it is. It's maybe it's just a little bit of a throwback. So getting on to Cairo, I had the pleasure of you inviting me to meet you in Egypt. And I think it was my suggestion that we meet up in Cairo just for ease of flights, because you know, I travel just slightly in princess mode, and I enjoy nonstop flights <laughs> for short trips. And I admit it right away. And as much as I would have loved to have met you at the Red Sea, I knew it was going to be relatively difficult for me to get there. I think British Airways discontinued. I think British Airways did have flights from Gatwick to Sharm a couple of years ago, but there's there's no real scheduled service from the UK. There's probably a little bit of charter service, so it would have taken me a long time to get there. But I was super excited to have an excuse to get back to Cairo because I had not been in Cairo since my last trip to Cairo. I guess I left Cairo in January of 1990. So it's been a couple of years since I've been in Cairo and it was just a really minute. a great opportunity. Just a minute. Yes. Oh, no, sorry. Just a minute is like a saying. <laughs> <laughs> just a minute? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like what the kids are saying these days. Oh, okay. I don't know what the kids are saying. Are the kids saying just a minute? Really? Is that, yeah, is that they, it? They, Tell they, me. You... Well, they talk about sort of uh, long periods of time as being, you know, just a minute in sort of that sarcastic sort of way, maybe. Well, oh, I didn't pick up, you know, I always, it. I don't know. Talk to your You children. know, I always forget <laughs> you're like a 20 something year old trapped in a 60 year old's body. So I sometimes forget. <laughs> you know, because honestly, I really, I often forget when I'm talking to you that you're just, I mean, you're just a few years older than my oldest daughter, which, wow, that's crazy to think of because she was born in, now I'm dating myself, of course, but my oldest daughter was born in 1994 and you were probably born around 1990? 89. So uh, don't try to bring me into that 90s decade. Yeah, my sister was born in 93, so that's about the age of your oldest daughter, I guess. Yeah, that's 1989. Well, I spent New Year's Eve from 1989 to 1990 in Luxor, Egypt. That's where my New Year's Eve was, you know, bringing in 1990. Just in case you were thinking about that. So that gives you a little perspective sometimes. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not certain, but I, I'm pretty sure that I probably spent New Year's Eve in the bassinet that year. But, uh, 
Yeah. Well, you yeah, know what? I mean, all this time <laughs> later, being able to connect with you in this place that you haven't been to centrally in as long as I've been alive, and then still being able to put together a pretty fantastic weekend trip, I think we did pretty well. Yeah, no, absolutely. What's amazing now about technology is we have all these wonderful reminders from, you know, Facebook or other apps that tell you about, remember this picture from 10 years ago. So it's always like I'm, you know, all of my memories from back then, you know, we have nothing reminding us of what happened on New Year's Eve 1989, except for our memory, or if we wrote a, a written diary about it. I mean, actually, I'm, I'm thinking back then I was traveling with a 35 millimeter camera and film. And, you know, I just remember the whole thing about taking pictures was so different. And of course, one of the things that I'm always really sad about, those were days where I was flying TWA and I understood the TWA system really well, even though I was quite young. And I was always flying TWA first class, Royal Ambassador. And I so yearn to have pictures of that in-flight service. But of course I don't because I have to guess that I would have thought it was extremely wasteful to try to take pictures because I was doing it with a film camera. So I would have to probably take a bunch of extra pictures and then develop all of those pictures, which costs money. And it probably just, it seemed like something that would have been a waste to me. But of course, you know, that's what we, we sort of take for granted now with digital photography that we could just take thousands of pictures and, you know, comb through them after the trip. But anyway, back to Cairo. So I arrived in Cairo, I think it was early Sunday morning and met you at our hotel. And that all went really seamlessly, except for my little bit of a panic that I had no room in my passport for an Egyptian visa. Yeah, that was uh, a little scary. I thought that you might get turned away at the border and deported back to Mother England. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Uh, so, and I looked at this as a major faux pas. And it's a sort of an interesting faux pas kind of story because for Egypt, they now have visa on arrival. When I used to travel to Egypt years and years ago, you had to get your visa in advance and your visa for Egypt took an entire page of your passport. Well, now they have this wonderful service where you pay 25 US dollars on arrival and they put a sticker in your passport, which is the visa. And it's all seamless and you do it on arrival. The only problem is that they clearly tell you that you need a full page in your passport for the arrival sticker. Well, I think, John, it must have been what, like two days before I was about to meet you in Cairo, I pulled my passport out and I knew it was getting pretty full. And I look through it and I go, there's not an empty page in my passport for an Egyptian visa. So I'm like, oh, this is one of those interesting, tricky scenarios. And I said, okay, well, nobody's going to be able to answer this for me unless they've actually lived through it personally. So I figured Egypt is uh, pretty pro-tourist and really does like American visitors. So I, I decided that I thought that I would be able to get away with getting in without the full page on my passport. One reason is because they give you the sticker and you can place the sticker in your passport. As a caveat to that, which is the other really hysterical part of this, they actually have a new service and Americans can use this service to do electronic visas for Egypt might be a good idea. And the electronic visa takes about three days to process, even though they say it takes a week. And the week before I had been trying to do an electronic visa, but the Egypt 
website was just giving me so much trouble that I gave up. And then, of course, John, we talked and you're like, you just get the sticker. What are you fighting with the website for? Now, ironically, I decided <laughs> to try to put in for the electronic visa the two days before the trip because I figured, oh, you know, maybe I'll get lucky and it'll come through. Of course, my electronic visa for Egypt got approved the Sunday, about 12 hours after I arrived. But anyhow, I decided to risk it. And one of the things that I did, which was actually not very expensive, but I just did it because my flight was arriving after midnight. So I decided to arrange with the uh, hotel pickup service in Egypt because I didn't want to have to deal with finding an Uber at close to one o'clock in the morning or deal with Egyptian taxi drivers, which translates into negotiating where you're going and also getting into a really cruddy cab. And I knew I would be a little bit tired at close to one in the morning. So the hotel arranged a VIP pickup for me. And I didn't even realize this, but Hilton's in, in Egypt have a person who works at the airport and does this. And he was there. He met me outside of the flight and he like took my passport, got the visa. We found a place to stick it. I went through immigration. The whole process probably took under five minutes. And of course, he cut through any of the lines that were there and there weren't even that many lines. So it was actually a worry for no reason. But it is something good to remember to review all of the rules and regulations, because if this had not been Egypt, a good example comes to mind is South Africa, right? Don't you need two pages in your passport for South Africa? No, I think I, it's you know, too I, I actually don't know on South Africa. It's only a standard size stamp that they've ever put into my passport. But I know that there are some countries that say that you should have two empty pages. I'm just glad that the situation with your passport worked out. And as I understand it, you have a brand new passport now and uh, you're free to travel wherever you like again. Yes, and I give the U.S. State Department all the credit in the world. I went to the U.S. Embassy a few days after I got back. I was able to book an appointment online, and I received my brand spanking new thick U.S. passport in under 10 days, which is pretty great because all permanent U.S. passports have to be produced in the United States, and it was delivered to me in London, so that worked out. I won't have that problem for quite a while. And of course, I'm going to probably do the electronic visa thing the next time I go to Egypt anyway. So we had a great night when I arrived in Cairo. I think I brought a bottle of Woodford Reserve, which I thought was crafty, from Duty Free at London Heathrow. I think we enjoyed some, uh, basically some drinks. And did we wander around our hotel a little bit? Or it was it was pretty late, but I think we just, we had a pretty chill you evening, know, right? Maybe some room service, I, cigars. I I recall that we did go down trying to to maybe get into the casino uh, there at the hotel, but unfortunately there was no ramp for my wheelchair. But yeah, I had some room service, some drinks, and then got a day of rest because the next day we were heading out to the pyramids. Right. And we made a little bit of a mistake on our, our heading out to the pyramids because we knew we needed a little bit of rest and we wanted to have a relaxing morning. But we forgot during Ramadan that the pyramids, is it like the pyramids close at three o'clock or was it four o'clock in the afternoon? They close early. I believe it was three o'clock that they were closing so that everyone would have time to get home and prepare their feast for the evening when the fast is broken. So we had a really uh, interesting experience, and I think this, this was all sort of forced by the fact that we had both promised on the Travel Zoric and Wheelchair Travel Facebook pages to host a Facebook Live video at the Pyramids, which we had been hyping up for a week or two, and it would have been very embarrassing to have missed that. So 
we hopped on a a horse-drawn carriage to go see the pyramids at a pretty close distance, I think, right? Yeah, and that hopped on the carriage is probably a pretty good explanation of it, but it was a very interesting carriage, and I think you are a very brave man, Mr. Morris, for getting on that getting on that carriage, but uh, it was definitely one of the most interesting experiences that I've had in recent years. I think uh, you were also a little bit nervous about leaving your wheelchair, but we felt pretty confident with the driver of the taxi company that you were using that it would be safe, but it was a interesting ride for sure. Yeah, you know, I think uh, looking back, you know, initially I I didn't really want to do it because, you know, getting up on a, a carriage that is probably not comfortable and leaving my wheelchair behind, like you said. But, you know, looking back, I, I think I really did enjoy the experience. It was sort of a, a unique thing to do, something I would have never expected to do. We got to ride through some of the residential and local business dominated streets uh, right around the pyramids, which was an interesting perspective. And eventually, uh, you know, I think it made for a, a very interesting Facebook Live. Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. And I think one of the most interesting things about it was that example of how you have to go with the flow when you're traveling. Like we had made a little bit of a mistake. We could have just shown up two hours earlier and our entire experience at the pyramids would have been completely seamless. And mind you, this trip, and I know you agree with this, this was more of a, us spending time together and also visiting some sites in Egypt than a heavy duty tourist kind of trip. Though we did have a great visit to the Egyptian museum the next day where we didn't make that mistake and we got there early enough, you know, because we were now aware that everything was closing around three in the afternoon. And actually, not only was the horse-drawn carriage ride really interesting for me, but the short walk over to the Egyptian museum was also sort of interesting, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sidewalks in Egypt are not accessible, and for a very heavy wheelchair with a guy riding on top of it, uh, if the sidewalk is not accessible, the only accessible route is in the roadway, and Drivers in Egypt are insane, and uh, we nearly got run over by a vehicle that popped its tire feet from us. It was truly a harrowing experience. Yes, I'm not used to usually like trying to walk in the middle of a street with six lanes of traffic, basically say to people, hey, slow down, we're crossing here. <laughs> but of course, so many people are doing it. That was a really interesting walk, our journey back. And also our trip in the, the Egyptian Museum was really a lovely afternoon. I mean, we got there just at the time. It seemed like all the tourists were gone. It almost seemed like we had the entire museum to ourselves. And I think what was cool for you is the elevator was working properly. So you finally got to see see the Tutankhamun exhibits, which I think are amazing. Yes, absolutely. The last time I went there, I think it was maybe a year and a half ago to the Egyptian Museum, the elevator was out. So I, I didn't have a chance to get up there and see really half of the museum. So it was fantastic. Uh, obviously, I'm very excited for the new Egyptian Museum that's being built right next to the pyramids. I'm excited for that to open. They're already beginning to pack things up in the Egyptian museum uh, to move it all over. So that new museum experience, well, one, it'll hopefully have air conditioning, and two, 
it should be very accessible to everyone. Yeah, no, it's super, super exciting. And it looks like it's going to be architecturally really interesting. I guess we're definitely way way over time but what i definitely do want to stress to people is they should visit egypt even if you just have time to visit cairo though you could easily spend four or five days in cairo there are so many sites within cairo and just outside of cairo but i think that overall i feel pretty safe in egypt i think the security at the major tourist hotels and all of the sites is pretty darn good i felt very comfortable everywhere I think obviously you need to be a little cautious when traveling, but I mean, traveling solo, I think is very safe in Egypt. You just have to be aware of the cultural differences with regard to people driving you crazy all the time for tips and trying, try, I mean, what and, did we call it? We know, called it sort of harmless, harmless, but annoying. I think that we were also very sensible in sort of the destinations that we selected and the hours, uh, you know, in which we were out. We didn't hit up any of the nightclubs. We stayed in the, you know, the major hotels and casino at the Four Seasons and major tourist attractions where there is a lot of security. So, you know, we never put ourselves in a situation where I think that we would have had a whole lot to fear. Right. Absolutely. And I think that would be for most tourists, especially if it was a first time visit, that would be the situation for them. I guess it's important to also say that major hotel chains are relatively inexpensive in Egypt. If you do have status with a hotel chain like, you know, Bonvoy, are we supposed to always say Bonvoy now, right? Or Hilton Honors, <laughs> you know, getting room upgrades, lounge access, you know, on hotel rooms that are ranging. What did we say? Even the Mena House Oberoi was, I keep calling it the Mena House Oberoi. It's the Mena House Marriott, I think is like 80, 90 bucks a night. The Hilton's range from 60 to $90 a night. I mean, really good value for your buck. And if you actually happen to have some level of elite status, you're probably going to get even more bang for your buck in Cairo. So it's a pretty reasonable place to visit as long as you stay away from hard liquor. Well, and I think as a diamond, you were a real VIP at the Ramses Hilton. They treated you very well, and I got to tag along for your diamond benefits. So that was very good for me. Yeah, it was fantastic. They really did a great job. It's something that would probably be an episode in itself. So, John, where can people find you? Or what's the best place to reach out and learn more about your amazing travels, which I encourage everybody to do? Well, go to my website at wheelchairtravel.org, and there are links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I think that's all the social media that I do. And I would love for people to follow along and like and comment and retweet uh, all my stuff. I, I always enjoy that. Excellent. Well, thank you again, John. And until next time. You've reached the end of your stay with us on this episode, but we encourage you to visit our website for more resources at TravelZork.com and to continue the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at TravelZork and Facebook.com slash TravelZork. Travel smarter, gamble smarter, and maximize your adventures right here on ZorkCast. Until next time, good luck.